everyone, welcome back to Sustainability Speaks. We are your hosts, Deja and Saskia. For our new series, we've been hosting guests with a passion for sustainability. On today's podcast, we're excited to welcome Orr, who is the founder of Unrest. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about Unrest and how you started? Hi, thank you so much uh, for having me on. I'm really excited to uh, connect with your uh, listeners and, um, and have all your great questions. So, so yeah, my name's Orr and I founded Unrest just over a year ago. Um, and our mission is to um, build a new um, a new set of companies in the world that take into account social responsibility and environmental responsibility in the DNA of how they're built. So um, we're starting to work with businesses already and we're always open and excited to speak to founders who are building businesses with that, with that ethos. Great, that's really interesting. And I guess could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, perhaps how your background has impacted uh, what you do now um, and, you know, just stuff like that? Yeah, of course. So um, I started my career working for big, huge companies that you probably know of. So uh, I worked for Braun and Gillette and then I worked for L'Oreal. Um, and if you've ever bought one of those razors, you know how much terrible plastic it comes in. It's shipped all around the world. Um, and certainly, if you uh, you know if you're buying from the beauty industry, you know some of the challenges that come uh, with the advertising that goes around that, the mental health issues that are created. Uh, and actually, I had this moment where I saw uh, a report sitting on my boss's desk, which correlated how much money was being spent by the big four beauty companies um, and rates of mental um, illness in women, particularly, um, and things that you know, uh, that were being led to by the beauty industry. And it was pretty clear, black and white, this really well correlated X amount spent on advertising and uh, an increase in rates uh, of things like anorexia and bulimia in, in different countries. And so it was pretty difficult to ignore that kind of data and that kind of evidence. Um, although I think we probably all in our hearts knew that this was going on in the industries. Um, and so that just didn't align with my values. Uh, and so, yeah, that was the end of that, and, you know, and I started working for founders um, operationally in startups and saw that small companies um, and vision aligned founders were making this huge impact by changing industries, even with uh, small amounts of power that they had and they were eating into the market share of big players, uh, which was really exciting. And so I wanted to spend my energy doing something that would help those founders. And so they need time need money, they need expertise, they need offices, they need advice. And so we are the bridge between um, kind of small startups with amazing ideas and that capital, that expertise, that space and that growth. Yeah. How long ago did this happen? When did you start Unrest? So I physically started it about a year and three, four months ago, but I've been thinking about how to build something like unrest for years before um, and the year before I started I started to kind of build business plans and um, kind of thought documents around what I wanted to do and how that would show up in the world so there's quite a bit of prep before we actually launched but um, properly a year now yes yeah, so um, also I guess with you know starting an accelerator there obviously there's quite a lot of prep that goes into it in terms of you know getting the investment and identifying the businesses that you would like to work with. I just wanted to ask you a few questions in relation to that because you mentioned you know the more social aspect 
of working in the big companies and you know the way it affects people's mental health etc and i think when people think about sustainability they commonly just think about the e in esg so <laughs> i was wondering the way you know you perhaps also take into account you know the the social aspect and the governance governance aspect in the businesses that you choose to work with yeah i mean i think that's an awesome question so um the way that we think about it is that you've got different stakeholders so people who are important to you as a business and um your employees for example are one of your stakeholders so is the city or the community or the street you live in and you work in um, and so is the society i.e., the country that you operate in or the countries you operate in and so all of those aspects for us is the s right you're, you're looking after humans whether they're your employees or uh, your customers or you know just everyday people in, in, in the country and so um and then we get beyond the s into well we're not just looking after humans we're going to also be looking after the planet which is the e and so uh, we just see it as a natural progression from looking after those who are most close to you and expanding that circle to look after more and more and more people until you go beyond people into the environmental side of things and of course governance um or good governance is um critical in all of those levels so it should really run through everything some of the ways we do that is by working with b corp for example um and also by working with the impact management project whose uh, role is really to make sure that um the the, the stgs sustainable development goals um, are being measured and being acted upon by as many people as possible. So there are two key partners when we build this accelerator and they um, come and do talks and well, they'll continue to do uh, to support us on that. Yeah, that's really interesting because I feel like especially when businesses are on at different stages of their development, which is the case with startups, I feel like they're you know, ability to prioritize all three aspects of ESG is can be, you know, quite complex for them to do so and understandably so. So I was also just wondering, obviously you said that you work with startups. Usually at what kind of stage do people come to you? You know, whether it's just a person with an idea or whether, you know, it's already kind of a business that's, uh, you know, not necessarily a unicorn, but that perhaps you know, has been working for a year or so and has quite a significant amount of investment behind them. So, you know, at what stage essentially are you like, yes, you know, we're going to help you? Yeah, it's a really good question. So um, we are pretty specific about the stage that we work at. So we um, don't work at concept stage, just to be clear. And we also don't work at the stage where the business has been running for years and years and years and is profitable, for example. Um, because they don't really need us, <laughs> they, they've already done the hard work. So uh, we work at that sweet spot, which is um, where you have got a great idea and you've started to develop that idea. So that could be, um, if you've got an app, you've started to build out the wireframe, you've started to understand who might build it for you, you've done a bit of consumer questionnaires. So it's slightly beyond concept, we call it a minimum viable product. So you've already tested to see that this might work. So if you're a product business, for example, like you've um, done a, maybe a fresh run of your smoothies or, or your, um, you know, whatever it is that you're, that you're doing. So um, still super, super early. 
and you still got to hire your first people. You probably have raised really small amounts of money, like maybe less than 50,000. Um, and so we would, we're typically working with businesses at that stage to ones that maybe a year into their journey and have launched and are making a bit of sales, but um, really want that kind of super quick high trajectory. So our core message to founders, if any founders are listening, um, is that fundamentally we absolutely believe in founders and their ability to uh, to get there to be successful. We just help them get there quicker um, and make the journey slightly easier and less stressful than uh, it could be. So we love we love founders and uh, we really believe in them. We're just here to help them a little bit. So I'm just wondering, do you approach these people or do they approach you or is it a mixture of the two? So we offer we offer capital so we offer money when they join the program and then we also offer access to a second round of capital so in total we can invest around 250 300,000 so um that's really attractive to people so we have a lot of uh just direct applications on our website and people emailing us and dming us on instagram um, and then we also do some scouting so um part of conversations like this is um, to encourage and inspire more entrepreneurs to either get into the space or ones that might be listening to kind of encourage them to 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 come and get involved and, and see what we're all about. But um, we also have people on our team who are dedicated to finding great founders. So it's a mixture, but we, we do get a lot of applications, yeah, and, um, and we look for everyone. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's listening now to apply, they need to go to your website and put in an application there. Yeah, I think it's it takes about thirty seconds. <laughs> if that, that's unrest.world is our website, and uh, it's there's only an application form in the website, so it's it's very simple to apply. Yeah, thirty seconds. That's quite good. Usually, when you apply for like I don't know jobs or something, it's like well, you recently applied for an internship, and yeah. it's like eleven questions. Yeah, it was 30, 13 questions, a cover letter. It, it took mm. me days. <laughs> so long yeah. I wish I it was we, rec- we recognise the founders are so busy right like mm. you've got a million other things to do and our job isn't to make your life harder it's to make it easier so we try to make the process pretty simple and uh, and easy for everyone and that's our ethos when we work with founders as well so um, we're certainly here to, to help not add complexity yeah and do you work uh, mainly like based in the UK or you know do you work with startups who are also you know outside of the UK Oh, yeah, great question. So um, for now, we're working with London-based or people who are willing to, to live in London um, to help support that, just to be clear, because not everybody can uh, can finance and move to London or living in London. It's pretty expensive. Um, we give every startup £30,000 when they join the program, and those founders can use that either for their business or they can use it for personal living costs. So um, there should be no barrier based on your income, uh, based on where you live uh, in the world. Uh, or in the UK, we, we want this program to have a diverse range of people. Um, and so we were open to anybody. Um, the only thing is that we run this program in person in September. Um, and so the, the physical nature requires you to be in London, but we're hoping that the money um, supports people in just basic living costs and rent and, uh, and things to enable, to enable anyone to apply. Yeah, and I also read um, on your website that it's you thought you put quite a lot of emphasis on creating community of like-minded individuals, 
and I just wanted to know your like opinion and perspective on why that's important in like the sustainability space. Oh, that's an awesome question. Uh, how long an answer do you want? We have we have the time. <laughs> we have the time. Um, I give the the top line is that um, building anything is difficult, right? And and you guys probably know this. You're doing it. You have a community of two. Um, and that's better than a community of one. And so um, imagine being around loads of other people who are building podcasts um, and you're in the office every day with them and you're learning from each other um, and you're going through the tough times and the fun times together as a group. Um, and so I think there's, well, there's a ton of inspiration to be had from other people. Um, and we recognize that building things is really difficult. It's emotionally difficult. And so, um, we try to, um, like for us, founder mental health is a really big focus. Um, and one part of supporting founder mental health is how um, the founders build a really strong community and are able to support each other. So peer coaching, peer-to-peer uh, -peer support is critical. Yeah, team morale is definitely important. I think that's not on such a large scale, but even when we're revising for exams and going to the library, <laughs> when you're by yourself, it's so much harder to find that motivation. But I think when, we, when you're with others, you share your ups and downs, so you do end up doing better. Yeah, totally, exactly, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I guess kind of moving on to the next section of the podcast, inevitably, uh, you obviously know a lot about, you know, ESG and that whole, you know, plethora of topics. So just on a more like broader scale, um, I'm just curious, you know, to hear your opinion. Obviously, you work with startups, but I guess a big question in like the sustainability sphere is who has the power to drive change? whether you know it's the stakeholders whether it's the government or whether it's corporations and within corporations you know you have the startups which hopefully you know will then grow and actually be able to influence all of the you know the uh components that i've mentioned or whether you know it's more the bigger cor corporations who um, have the bargaining power at the moment mm. um so i suppose there's two questions within that who has the mm. power today and then the the, the next Part of that, I suppose, is um, who who has the power to make the change. Yeah. And I suppose I'd maybe start with the second question. Mm -hmm. It's always the rebels and the renegades and the startups and the uh, the people who think differently who come up and create change. And so it's very difficult to expect governments and you know your Unilevers and your Procter and Gambles to be the the beacons of change. And I think we saw that with you know, um, Extinction Rebellion and Greta Thunberg and, um, you know, the pressure for change did not come from government and did not come from large corporations. It came from the ground up and it came from ordinary people. Young people typically um, are the agents of change. And so um, who has the power to make change? I think it's uh, clearly startups. I think it's pressure groups. I think it's young people. I think um, the you know, we've had a pretty inspiring couple of years of actually um, seeing a protest movement create genuine change. And I think governments are now taking notice. And you know, David Attenborough is probably wouldn't be considered a young person, but he's been a great supporter of of, of this movement. Um, and so, fundamentally, it comes from the bottom. 
Um, but then what, what, what we need to do as a movement is start to um, work together and show that we stay collected um, and start pressuring things like governments and large organizations to make the change too. But, um, you know, my view is let's not be under any illusions. Uh, the moment we stop pushing, um, it's not in their interest to make change because it's hard and it's less profitable potentially for them. Um, and so we focus a lot less on what government is going to do today or what big businesses are going to do today and more about solidifying this movement and making sure there are more people and people are dead clear. So this is a call to consumers is like be mindful of what you buy. There are tons of options in the world, right? So um, you literally have the power in your wallet to, to make changes and that goes for you know anyone who's got you know their first pension fund through their first job where you decide to put your pension is probably one of the biggest decisions you're going to make for good or for or for change um where you buy clothes from you know are you a boohoo shopper um are you looking beyond that are you going to buy fewer pieces from better places or tons of pieces from pretty pretty uh, pretty bad places so um we all have the power to make the change is ultimately my answer and um and uh, we are what we effectively do is we create companies that give people choice so like here's something better to buy that's more ethical and we hope you buy this versus this thing that's less yep just to add to that i think one of the hardest things to move past is moving away from environmentalists being seen as rebels being seen as young hooligans sort of you know kind of like extinction rebellion like so greta thunberg they're very much portrayed in the media as they're not respected um so it's breaking through that wall and moving towards ma making businesses generally are respected in the government in the media in society so it's like what you're doing is you're moving towards a space that is more respected by the government and will be listened to rather than a group of young individuals that are generally ignored <laughs> um interesting yeah that's a really interesting point i guess people do respect business um so you're right about that point i hadn't thought of it like that that's true but i would say i would say that extinction rebellion and greta have had a genuine impact on government and its policy i really really believe that um and i think so so I looked at some data recently from Ipsos Mori, which um, looked at how inter different generations are spending their money and what they spend it on. And I think it's like 86% of people under the age of 30 um, take ethical decisions in how they spend um, their money. And I think um, you can't ignore that, you know, whether you're a company or a government. Like it gets to the point where you can't just say, they're just loud, annoying people in the streets because <laughs> they're not going to spend with you anymore. And then, you know, that's, that's a real tangible uh, difference that you're going to feel at the end of every month if you're somebody who thought they could just ignore these people. Um, I think the reality is landing slowly with different groups that there's no way to ignore this change. There's no way to ignore these people um, as much as they might want to. Um, but the message is landing. So I would say, if you are young and feel unheard, uh, that's changing pretty quickly. 
Yeah, definitely. You can even see that in the big companies such as um, H&M, for example, how they start to bring out green rangers, um, which well, sort of brings on to the next question. It's about greenwashing, um, yeah. which is yeah. obviously quite an issue in the, the business sphere and in, well, in general, to be honest, because, well, even like I said, the H&M, they claim to be sustainable. But then if you look at all of their practices in general, they're quite clearly not. So how do you distinguish between those businesses that are genuine and those that are greenwashing? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, we, we have a very clear way of doing that, but I think um, I think there's a wider point, right? How do we as consumers differentiate as well between between those things? And I mean, obviously, you guys are super well researched, so you know you know your stuff. But it's that's that's not necessarily the, the common the common view, right? So um, there needs to be, and that's what impact management project fundamentally are working on. So um, they're looking at different measurement systems for how you effectively just measure a company every year across E, S, and G um, and seeing what, whether they're truly ethical. Um, B Corp is a very well-known or fairly well-known like stamp, so like the fair trade stamp. You all know what that means. So B Corp are trying to become that for impact businesses. We think that B Corp at the moment have the best model, the best frame for helping to measure businesses. It's not perfect certainly not but um, it's the closest to the rate that we have and so we work with them and our job is as the accelerator is how to embed impact into your business model into your company culture into your branding into how you procure your product supply chain etc and so um, we run workshops we um, are working with B Corp on trying to create a, a fast uh, track stream for our companies so that they can go through the process really quickly and have all the policies and everything up up front so they can embed them. Um, but there is a big greenwashing question. And I don't know the answer in terms of how to respond to a company that's trying to do things better, but is still not quite matching up with how it's communicating the change that it wants to make. So intention versus reality. Do we go after those companies or do we go after the companies who are not even trying? And I'm so interested to hear what you guys think about that. Yeah, I actually did my dissertation on a topic which is quite related to environmental reporting um, and just, you know, how essentially companies are trying to become a lot greener. But essentially, there is not a lot of longevity for that because at the moment, the pressures for CSR and ESG are very market driven. And the market market trends can change quite spontaneously, essentially. Um, so I just and I think what my conclusion was is that as long as there is the market drive and market trends which are encouraging, you know, consumers um, or the media to seek out businesses which either are green or aren't, then you know companies will adhere to that trend because it's profitable and obviously as long as the two objectives of sustainability and profitability profitability align that's great uh, not just for them but also you know for the rest of the world but i feel like as long as that's the only that's the main driving factor then that is quite a problem in terms of the objectives and the genuine uh, reasoning behind you know implementing greener and more sustainable strategies 
And the same applies to the extent of communication to the consumers, because I feel like consumers are quite easily misled. So, yeah, I feel like in order for the communication to be very genuine and thorough, there needs to be genuine legal reform. I completely agree. I think that the, the final step ultimately is going to be some legislation around um, having to embed impact into your into your articles of association and your business model and your mission. Yeah, I think that's that's the ultimate success. Yeah, we work we work for that too. So uh, we have so we are uh, obviously mission led ourselves. We've got four um, four missions in the world. And one is what we've just talked about: changing the world from um, shareholder capitalism to stakeholder. The other is around founder mental health. So we believe um, resilient founders will build great businesses, great cultures. We want workplaces to be joyous, happy places to work where we can all be ourselves. Um, we think diversity and uh, in startup world is awful. I don't know if you guys know this, but as a female, female team, if you guys were going for investment, um, out of all the money that's given out by venture capital, um, I think 3% go to women only teams. So the rest go to male, white male teams, 93% of all money. So we think that's pretty shocking. Um, and so, for example, in our current cohort, we don't have a single white male only team. Um, and then finally, you know, we think that the whole ecosystem needs change. So we work for governmental change in the long run. Um, and exactly as you say, ultimate legislation. Uh, making this uh, a kind of legal requirement from companies. Speaking about unrest in particular, I know that you know you obviously accelerate sustainable businesses and etc. But perhaps what do you do within your organisation that makes you a sustainable business? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, obviously. The core, the core of what we do, the kind of the core mission is to create, um, we we'll call it primary, secondary, and tertiary impact. So primary impact is how we as a business can behave. So that means um, what kind of policies do we have for our staff and our teams and our office and um, you know even basic things like recycling. You know, so how we behave and we have one hundred percent control over that right it's us secondly it's um what businesses do we want to accelerate and what change are they making in the world so we call that secondary and so just to give you an example um if we work with a, uh, a pancake business or a fertility business that then allows millions more people to have better nutrition and lower sugar and more whole grains and you know we're not directly causing that but by helping these guys and lifting them up and helping them be bigger then we're making some impact in the world and the same with a fertility company if more people can get pregnant um, more quickly and they want that then and at a lower cost and more quickly then we are helping in a secondary way and then tertiary is what we talked about a minute ago which is how do we change the ecosystem so for us that means how do we make sure that more vcs put money into a more diverse group of founders how do we encourage the government to bring in legislation like you talk around so we have those three missions and we try to operate our business to meet those missions in the fastest way so um, we make all the, the decisions so for example on diversity um, 
when we were selecting our cohorts, we make a decision around who comes into the cohorts. And we would say, for example, no white male only teams. Um, and so that's a decision we make. The result is that our cohort is filled with mixed teams with um, yeah, a much more varied group of people. Yeah. Um, can I just ask, what do you gain from this? So do you take a cut in these business? Exactly. Yeah. So you get a percentage of the business. And is that different depending on how much you invest with them? Do you, or do you have a set amount? Yeah, it's good. So when they come into the accelerator, um, day one, we put in £30,000 net. Um, and we take 8% in total. And so um, our hope is that in five, six, seven years time, that you know that percentage will be worth something. And um, when we sell it, we can then reinvest that money into supporting new businesses. So in the meantime, what we're doing is we're borrowing that money. So we borrow money to, uh, and we sell a chunk of our own business so that we can start investing. So fundamentally, we recognize that founders don't have money to pay us so we could run a program and say look you get a free office you get 190 hours of uh, speakers and advice and office hours and accounting services and legal services and we will build your brand and we'll do all that stuff and we'll charge you 100 grand to do it no one has the money to pay for that so um we say look we'll do a deal we'll take some equity and together we hope that you're going to be big and successful in the future and that'll be worth something um at which point we get paid basically seven and a half years after we worked with you yeah um also i guess kind of branching off of that um on the we did a podcast with kunu which is a sustainable coffee cup brand and one of the things that the co-founder said which i which both of us found really interesting is if you're starting a new business you are essentially contributing to you know environmental harm in some way because mm -hmm. you're producing new output even if your ethos and aims are to do that sustainably with you know accelerating businesses and essentially encouraging startups and new businesses to equally have a certain kind of output um i just wanted to know your opinion whether you know whether you agree with that statement whether you know regardless of what kind of business you're starting sustainable non-sustainable there is an element of harm or whether you know businesses can genuinely be as mitigate their um, externalities to such an extent that you know they actually perhaps bring more benefit as opposed to no harm at all. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. Um, I think you can absolutely mitigate, so you can be a net positive business. So you're right that. Um, for example, you, uh, you know, the, 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 the pancake company that we work with, Pancakes and Waffles, um, they produce packaging, which is made of uh, biodegradable paper, but you still needed to develop that paper from a tree. So the fact that biodegradable is better than plastic is great, but he's right that there's still, uh, there's still a, uh, a cutting down of a tree in that sense. And as a business, you can make the decision to plant more trees than you um, than you cut. So, for example, Brewdog made that promise, and they bought land in Scotland to build a forest. And so, you can make those decisions, and you absolutely should. So, net positive is what we call that. 
and, and net positive is what we should all be aiming for. I think there's an acceptable stepping stone, which is net neutral in the meantime that people can, can step on on their way to positive. Um, and I still think that there's all this damage being done here. If you can at least mitigate that damage so that it's not causing effectively net neutral, it's no longer causing damage, it's just you know flat, then we can then push lots of, lots more people to move to positive. But um, our aim is around net positive. The other thing I would say is that not all businesses fall into this category. And I'll give you a couple of examples that we have here that we work with. Um, one is called Outtrip, for example. And what they do is um, if you want to go to Cornwall, you want to go cycling or you want to go surfing or paddle boarding, what you might do is you might buy a wetsuit, you might buy a paddleboard, you might strap it to your car and you might drive down to Cornwall and then go and have your fun. They want to cut out the use of people buying outdoor equipment to be used once or twice a year and they're building a peer-to-peer -peer platform so you turn up to cornwall you've organized a, on effectively an airbnb uh, type app for um, your surfboard your bike and then you go pick up your bike from someone who already owns it who's already bought it and you're renting from other people and, and that equipment gets used throughout the year far more so um we kind of Anything peer-to-peer -peer is really helpful because you're not creating any additional resource. You're just using current resource better. Um, and then the second thing, second app that I'll, I'll tell you about um, is called Clobber and Sprout. Um, and what they do is they work with vintage clothing. Uh, and so they take anything that's over 30 years old, they um, repurpose it in their, uh, in their warehouse, and then they effectively either rent it to people. So the rental model again, the clothes get returned after a month somebody else uses them um, or you're or you're buying that vintage clothes uh, and again it's clothes that either otherwise would be in a skip or in a charity shop that might not get picked up so i think there's exciting models out there that aren't just pure positive um and then the ones that aren't pure um at least they're neutral and we and, and they're being pushed to to positive yeah, that's a very good point because we've actually hosted quite a few businesses recently that don't actually produce anything, they don't put anything into the world. Um, so, for example, the last one we did was called Seeds and they're an investment app. In, so you spend your money to invest in sustainable projects. So similar to that, it's still a business, it's still a startup, but they're not producing anything to the world. They're mm -hmm. actually help, well, they're helping businesses grow and projects grow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, same yeah. with um, Settle Up Earth. Yeah, actually, yeah, they um, they are a startup. Uh, I heard that one actually. Yeah, mm -hmm. based out of Imperial, and they um, they essentially just help people and businesses carbon offset. So yeah, and I remember in that interview, uh, you were kind of you're being quite challenging, which I thought was good. And when you asked around, you know, they, uh, you know, they have to go around planting and they're driving cars and all that. Is that being factored into their tree planting and they actually factor that in which is brilliant so that makes it a net positive that you know they're taking into account all of their um, costs effectively yeah um so i guess moving on to the last section of you know the questions that we have um obviously unrest is quite new uh <laughs> so we were just wondering what are your future goals and ambitions for the accelerator and where do you see yourself um, and the business in um, five years' time? Oh, awesome. Um, so we imagine a vision of the world where we help shift all business. So 
we want to see a macro shift from small, medium, large businesses to thinking about sustainability in terms of environmental and social at all times. And so, you know, it would be amazing if in, well, we, we look at a 30 year vision, but um, I mean, if it can happen in five years, awesome. Um, where every business that's being created and every business that runs is net positive in the world. So actually in the price of everything, every single product you buy, you know that you're creating a better world. Just imagine that. Um, and whether that needs government or whether that's through social pressure or whether that's because the companies that come out of our accelerator are challenging the big companies in a powerful way that makes them switch their behavior or makes them lose market share and they die because we're releasing new companies who take over, um, then, then that's mission accomplished. Yeah, like we said earlier, I think it's definitely a mixture of the three. It's just as and when that will happen. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it also has to do, you know, with the amount of power each factor is able to generate, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think we're all, we should be working together. So, you know, um, you know what you guys are doing is really critical. Uh, what we're doing is great. What, you know, some government ministers are doing is also brilliant. And we should all be working together, lifting each other up and supporting as part of a community. And so, um you know, we're starting to do that. We actually um, host bi-weekly drinks in our office. Um, so if you guys, and, and again, some of your audience are interested in coming, um, the mission is to bring together all those different players. So we have journalists, we have investors, we have people in politics, we have founders. Every second Friday, uh, we do drinks here in our office and, um, and we just start making those connections and building that community. Oh, that's really exciting. Yeah, well, you're moving to London. Yeah, I'm moving week. to London on Saturday, so in five days. <laughs> so, you know, I uh, I would be more than happy to attend. I think that'll be a very interesting opportunity. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah, and bring and bring people from the uh, impact community. It's an open invitation. Um, and yeah, the goal is that we work together to achieve change. So just before we round this off, are there any current businesses that you're working with and you'd like to mention, or do you kind of keep this a bit hush-hush until it's official? No, I mean, I, 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 we worked with two that I mentioned, Outtrip and Clobber and Sprout. So um, Clobber and Sprout, you can jump on their website today and buy yourself um, a vintage box or a rental vintage box. Um, it's really cool. They're all curated, so the founders curate your style with what you like, with the stuff that they have, so it's, it's really bespoke. Um, and they're awesome. Outtrip again, if you're doing a trip this summer in the UK, jump on their platform and get a canoe and a kayak. Don't buy one, just get one off somebody else. Um, Riddle, so Riddle are a pancake and waffle company made with whole grain flour rather than just crappy white flour. Um, way lower in sugar, really healthy, really delicious. You can find them on Amazon Fresh. Um, and again, all these people might be great to come on your on your podcast as well, by the way. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then we've got uh, Bea, we're a fertility company. So, you know, for anyone thinking about babies and fertility, um, they're super, super helpful for that, but they haven't launched yet. So they're still underground. Um, and Bendy's is, is a B2B company, but um, yeah, they, they work around fashion as well and making sure that it's more sustainable. So yeah, there's lots of stuff you can buy today and then there'll be things that you can buy in the future. But, um, but yeah, it was super exciting. 
Yeah, that is very, very exciting. And we'll make sure to, you know, check out uh, some of those businesses. And if, you know, they're interested, we'll be more than happy to send them a message and see if they'd like to, you know, have a discussion. Um, and obviously with um, unrest and if any of our listeners, you know, are interested in getting in touch um, or checking out, you know, what they do, we'll obviously include all the links um, on our Instagram, LinkedIn and in the description of the podcast. Yeah, that was, that was great. Yeah, I mean, I just want to um, also just a shout out to you guys for doing what you're doing. I think you're giving up your lots of your time uh, for free to build um, an audience and build um, this mission in the world as well. So I'm super, super pleased that um, you're spending your time doing that. It's really admirable. And um, yeah, congrats and well done on, on building this uh, this podcast and this audience. So yeah, thanks, thanks. for having me on. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, we, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. We definitely also enjoy doing what we do because we get yeah. to meet so many like interesting people like yourself. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, um, we'd be in kind of our uni bubble. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's a, it's a nice break. I mean, normally when we're doing our exams mm-hmm. and things, it was actually so nice to be able to do this podcast because it was a, mm. it was a justified break it was like oh no we're <laughs> gonna have to go do our podcast <laughs> but now we're finished it's even better because we have yeah. so much spare time to put into it awesome yeah i mean keep on going it takes a long time to build to build an audience and to build um to build this but you're uh, talking about things of the future and so um i, I really believe that it will happen so yeah. yeah well done great well thank you so much Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. Like we said throughout, the links will be in the description. So take a look at those and we'll see you next time.